Amen. Amen. God is good. Um, man, I just, I don't know. I'm, I love Jesus. Um, I don't know that we fully understand what he did for us. But when we do, it's going to be a game changer. Um, can I? <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to walk around with a frown. I mean, even when everything in your life is like hell, um, you're going to understand it doesn't matter. Um, people can be against you. People can say mean things to you. Don't care. Um, I, I care about what he says about me. You know, he never defines us by our mistakes. Never. We do that to each other all the time. We define people by the mistakes they've made, what they did yesterday. Um, we don't know the gospel. But uh, we're going to get to that. That has nothing to do with my sermon. That was just free. There you go. Um, today, because it's Church Planning Sunday, one of the things I forgot to mention was House of Prayer is in Redfield today. Um, and it still starts at 5 o'clock. So if you want to go, uh, we would carpool from here at 4 o'clock. Um, so please let me know. Send me a text. Let me know before you leave today if you plan to come um, so that we don't wait here uh, longer than we need to so that we can get on the road. Um, I feel like the roads between here and Redfield are good. It's going to be cold. So, you know, bundle up, bring some stuff. We'll carpool. And I drive slow, so we won't go in a ditch probably, I hope. Praise the Lord. Um, but if someone's a better driver, you drive, and I'll just ride along. <laughs> and so, um, you know, praise God. So that's going to happen today, and uh, so much is going to happen today. It's great. Um, our, our devotion guides, if you have a paper guide, um, hopefully you got the message that we actually didn't start the Next Steps Giving devotion until tomorrow. Okay, because we took two weeks to cover vision, and we're going to go back to that here in a second. Um, so the next steps one starts tomorrow. It's a seven-day devotion. It goes through next Sunday. Um, and then the next one is called uh, The God I Never Knew. And it's 28 days. It's by Robert Morris. Robert Morris is, he, he grew up in a denomination that was, he was a cessationist. That means they don't believe the gifts operate today. And he was getting his master's at Dallas Theological Seminary, I believe, in, which is a very cessationist Bible college. And uh, he was doing a research paper on cessationism, why the gifts don't operate today. Well, in that process, he realized that's actually not what the Bible teaches. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God completely changed his life. He planted Gateway Church, and now they have, I don't even want to guess, how many different locations. One of them in a state prison. A church campus in a state prison. Who does that? Um, and so... I love what God is doing, and he writes The God I Never Knew, his story about who the Holy Spirit is, and that's what uh, this next one is, and so it starts on January 27th, but uh, I know not everybody comes every week, and uh, that's just society, and who knows, we could get a blizzard and not have church next week, and you just don't know. So I, I already printed them. Some are in the, the back there on the table, um, but if you want the U version uh Bible link, I can send that to you. I encourage you to use the version one, if possible, uh, because every day we make comments. Every day I share some thoughts that I feel like God is giving me for our church. Um, if you have not read the ones that I posted over the last two weeks for um, the, the Nehemiah from rubble to restoration, um, I really feel like there was so much more. I could have preached the book of Nehemiah for the first six months of this year. Um, but that's not where we're going. And so I deposited at least some things that were in my heart. And uh, 
So those are in there. If you want that link, I can still give it to you, and you can still read the things that I posted on there. And uh, a lot of it I shared last week. We started um, last week a sermon that I've called Vision or 2020 Vision, and um, it was originally going to be one day. But I realized there were so many new faces in our body this year that many of you have no idea how we got where we are. And so I took a step back and kind of brought you through. And last week we started that. We talked about the name change and the story behind why we changed our name. Uh, we talked about why we're willing to sell our property, uh, why there are some for sale signs out here. And uh, we really went into that last week. Um, selling the property is not our vision. Please don't, under, don't misunderstand that. That is not. But if trying to maintain the property um, financially and physically, because the building doesn't clean itself, it doesn't take care of itself. Last, yesterday we undecorated, and there were four of us. I mean, it's just the reality that there's a lot of stuff to do and very little people to do it. And so we're willing, if it keeps us from fulfilling our vision, we're willing to sell it. Um, we've looked into other avenues. Um, actually, I've, when we voted, I felt like the Lord told me not to vote to sell it. I voted no that day, uh, not because I wasn't willing, but because I felt like he told me to. And uh, I feel like he imprinted on my heart that he wants me to just keep listening. Okay, listen. Some churches today uh, open daycares because they can't afford to keep their doors open without some supplemental income, so they have daycares. Um, some will do uh, different ministries. They'll do like a dream center type of thing. They'll, uh, they do all kinds of, they open coffee shops. They do stuff to, to generate revenue. Um, some will rent it out to other churches. We're actually looking into renting and sharing our facility with a Hispanic church in town. So there's nothing off the table. Um, anything, any door God opens, we, we check to see if it's him opening it or if it's not, and uh, we look into it, we pray into it, and so uh, that's kind of where we're going uh, with that, and I, I really don't have time to recap it, but if you missed it, it's on our podcast. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it at Podbean. Uh, you can go to our church Facebook page and watch the video of it as well, and uh, we're going to talk today. We're going to start uh, what, where I hoped we were going to get to last week, but we didn't quite get there. Uh, we're going to talk about the, a piece of property downtown at 208 Dakota Avenue South and uh, how that came to be and what God put in my heart. When we, we were actually looking for another place to meet as a church. We were looking for property to rent. We were looking uh, because we just felt like this had become a, a problem to maintain and to keep. And, you know, I didn't say this last week, but, I, you know, we, we assume in the American culture bigger is better. That's what we assume. We assume that if we grow as a church, we should build big buildings and we should, you know, have all of this space that we have to heat in South Dakota. I mean, that's what we, we assume, that that's it's just a sign of God's blessing and favor. And it's not necessarily, it's not bad necessarily, but just because every other church does it, every other church does it. And I wonder if we ever opened the Bible with no context of church culture, if we would come to the same conclusions that we've come to today. And those are the questions that we really started to ask ourselves, would we come to those same conclusions? Are we actually making disciples? Can I, can I tell you something? Sitting here listening to me talk isn't making you a disciple. It's not. Having Sunday school classes doesn't automatically produce disciples. And we get lazy and we get complacent because we put systems in place, we have buildings, and it's comfortable for us but it doesn't necessarily produce disciples. 
And so we have to make sure that we're actually doing what the Scripture says and not just being comfortable because it's what we like. So, um, but we started looking for property and we also started talking about Jeremiah 29.7. God put this scripture on our hearts to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've called you. Um, that was obviously where they were called into exile because your prosperity is tied to their prosperity. And God really spoke to my heart about whether or not if the, this community would miss us if we ceased to exist. I mean, I know that we say nice spiritual things like, well, we're building the kingdom and we're serving people and we're doing all this stuff, but are we actually... I mean, would they actually notice we were gone if we no longer were here because of the way we're impacting their lives? Sadly, after being a pastor here for 18 years, I said, no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't miss us. That's hard to do, you know? That's very humbling when the Holy Spirit says, hey, would anyone miss you if you were gone? I'm like, no, they, they wouldn't. How would they miss us? What do we need to do? We started serving our school district. We started serving our community. We started getting involved in different activities. And here's the thing. We can't do everything. So we're like, Holy Spirit, show us, you know, hone this thing. What do we need to do? What have you gifted us to do? What should we do? And that piece of property at 208 Dakota came into our hearts. Um, we felt like God was in that property. And I don't, I don't know why. The best way I can explain it is to show you a video we put together. It's kind of old. Uh, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. Hey, Restoration Church. We're down here at 208 Dakota Avenue South, and we are so excited about the things that God is doing, the doors that he's opening, and the way he's clarifying the vision of restoration to us. We wanted to put together a video to share some of that with you so you know how to pray effectively. As you can tell, the variance hearing has been set for this property on October 17th, so we want you to continue to pray. And we want to share some of the testimonies of what God has done and the ways that He's just assured us in our hearts that He's behind all of this, and we're so excited to share it with you. And so why don't we go inside out of the rain and the snow, and we'll share a little bit more with you. It was about one year ago that God put the word restoration in our hearts. And the vision of restoration ultimately is about restoring God's original design for creation here on the earth. And we know that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, opened the way for that to be possible. We know that as Christ followers, that we're called in 2 Corinthians to, God implores us to have people be reconciled back to him. And so restoration is really about helping people experience the fullness of God's kingdom, physically, spiritually, and emotionally in every way and walking with them through that process. In January, we felt like God was calling us to serve here at this piece of property. Our leaders met in this building and we really did feel like God was, had something in store for our church here, but we weren't exactly sure what that was. As we continued to pray, we really felt like God was asking our church to consider moving from 9th Street and Lincoln Avenue to right here at 208 Dakota Avenue South. We continued to pray, we presented it to you, and as we processed through that together, we felt like God secured those things in our heart through dreams, through visions, and just different confirmations that the people felt as they began to pray about it. So we continued through that process and God has opened so many doors. 
After our vote on September the 5th, I reached out to Lori Shelton. She's the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce here in Huron. I shared with her the changes that we had voted on and some of the vision that God had put in our hearts, specifically around Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. In that passage of scripture, God told his people to pray, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where he was sending them into exile. Now, we don't feel like God has exiled us here in Huron, but their welfare was tied to the welfare of that city. How much more would our welfare be tied to the welfare of our city? And so we really felt like as leaders, God wanted us to come alongside of our city leaders and to work for the peace and the prosperity of our city here. Within 10 minutes of receiving my email, she called me on the phone and she was so excited about the vision that I had shared with her. She wanted to use some of the words that I shared with her in a presentation she was making to her own team at the chamber. She put me in contact with a lot of different organizations and people in town that I could share our vision with. And one of those was the Greater Huron Development Corporation. They had already been meeting to talk about how to better our city. They were gonna talk about what they felt like were the challenges and how those could be addressed. The building down here at 208 Dakota Avenue South is actually a three-level building. The basement is a building, is an area that we hope to use for our children's ministry and some of our youth ministry. The main floor would be our worship center and some of our office space. And right now we're in the apartment that is upstairs and I'm in the kitchen of that apartment. And there's a lot of space up here for nursery area, for toddler area, for classroom space. And so there is a lot of space that we can utilize on this property. On September the 19th, I attended a meeting of the Greater Huron Development Corporation called Huron Rising. They had met together with 70 community and business leaders and talked about our city and the main problems that were facing our city and how to address them. They came up with four major areas of concern and they boiled it down even further to two places that they wanted to start. One of those areas was the revitalization of the downtown area. Specifically, they wanted something to be done in the next two years between Market Street and Third Street to kind of launch this revitalization of the downtown area. I sat there as I listened to the heart of our city leaders and as they presented this forum, I was literally in awe of what God had done because in the same time that our city leaders were processing what to do and how to address the concerns of our city, God had put in our heart the same region, the same area, the same emphasis. And so he was bringing together the vision he had given us and the vision he's given our city and he brought them together in that moment. And it was such a God moment. I was so encouraged and as I passed that on to you in sun, on Sunday morning service, I know many of you were encouraged by that too, to just know in our hearts that God has been behind this the entire time. Part of the vision of restoration is breaking down the, the racial barriers, the denominational barriers, the gender barriers, even the social barriers. We feel like God is putting in our heart to go after those that no one else is going after. I love that many in our, our church are working in the foster care program. Uh, Royal Family Kids Camp has been a part of that. And uh, we're looking forward to starting Royal Family Mentoring Clubs in the future also. Another part of that vision is the dream God has put in our heart for church campuses in some small communities around the area where they can't have a self-supporting church, they can't support a pastor of their own. And so we wanna come alongside those communities and plant church campuses there. Mark and Ginny Apple are currently in Redfield and we're still progressing trying to, to get a church plant there. 
The church in Howard is continuing to pray and seek God's direction to see if they want to partner with us with a church camp campus there in Howard. And there are other cities around this area that we want to see God put a church campus so that the people in that community could have a pastor there serving their needs and meeting the needs of that community as well. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for taking this journey with us. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the sacrifices, the steps of obedience, the financial giving. We are so excited about what God has in store for the future of our body. And over the last few weeks, I really feel like God has been imploring me and even calling me to challenge you to continue to be faithful in prayer and not to get weary and give up. And so I want to just encourage you to continue to pray for open doors, continue to pray for favor with business leaders and city leaders, continue to pray for God to bring across our path the people that we need to have communication with, and continue to pray for the finances we need, whether uh, donations of time, donations of money, donations of businesses to help us remodel this building and get it ready for the use that God has in store for it. And so I want to just encourage you to continue to be faithful in doing what is right, continue to be steadfast in prayer, and uh, let's just continue to take those steps of faith and trust that God is going to be faithful to us. And let's not get weary in doing what is right, because we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That video was actually made back in uh, October 2018, and interestingly, the Lord has been really speaking to my heart um, on a side note about identity in Christ, and oddly, the sweatshirt that I was wearing um, was because of identity in Christ. I don't, I just made that connection when I watched the video just now, so um, crazy how sometimes God drops a seed here, and then it takes a long time for it to actually, oh look, it's growing, um, crazy stuff, but as you know, or maybe as you don't know, the variance uh, hearing failed. And I, I remember sitting in that room um, when the, the bar across the street was giving all the reasons why we would be a terrible neighbor and a terrible influence and how it would just be so terrible for our city. Um, that, and they, they voted it no, three to two. And uh, we walked out of the room and uh, just kind of stunned at, you know, what had happened. How did that fail? Why did it fail? And no one spoke up for us. And, and uh, was on my way home, and I felt like the Lord said, go back and circle the building. I'd, I had been praying around that building um, pretty regularly. I still go down pretty regularly anytime the wind chills above zero anyway, and uh, pray around that building. And uh, as I was praying, I got a phone call from Steve Gohn. He's the director of the Greater Huron Development Corporation. He's like, Pastor, what happened? I'm like, I don't know what happened. He's like, how did they vote it down? And I told him the story, and he's like, don't worry. We'll, we're going we're gonna to make some calls. Um, the next day in the paper, front page of the paper, city denies church variance request. Bam! And I'm like, you know, so of course everyone's asking, you feel like a failure, um, but when you have people, business leaders and people in town calling councilmen, city, and they actually got to the point, they were slightly annoyed by the calls, but uh, had agreed if we would do a couple things, uh, they would eventually approve the variance, and, uh, yeah, and so uh, I feel like God is still in this process, um, thought it would take thought it would happen faster. Um, as we've walked through this process, I don't know if that's supposed to be our only church campus. I don't know if it's supposed to be a second downtown church campus. I don't know if it's supposed to be a school of ministry. I don't know if it's supposed to be a community visitation center. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but I, I feel like that's where God's leading us. And every time I want to just give up and say, God, I, 
During the fasting week, I drove downtown, and I literally had the thought, I wish I had never laid eyes on that building. But I knew where that thought came from, and so I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go there. Um, every time I'm about to give up, I get a call. Hey, do you still want to buy that vacant lot? Hey, do you, are you interested in buying my apartments? Hey, have you ever heard of this organization? You really, they're going to meet on this such and such a day. Um, so we're going to keep progressing. We're going to keep walking through that journey. Um, I can't make doors open. I can't purchase it. Um, we have approval to purchase it, but it's contingent upon uh, the structural soundness of the building. It's contingent upon um, making sure there's no mold in the building. It's contingent on doing it debt-free. And you're like, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. Or have you prayed into it? Have you? I mean, if you voted yes, are you praying into it? If you voted no, are you, are you praying into it? I know, it sure got real quiet. Because here's the thing. I believe God is actually setting us up to do a prophetic declaration over our city by restoring a piece of property that basically makes our community look like a dump. And he put it in our heart at the same time our city leaders were talking about it, and we didn't know until after it happened. It's in the center of our city. It's on the main street. It's in the sight of everyone. Why would God do that? Well, why would God ask Hosea to marry an unfaithful prostitute and have children out of the, the adulterous relationships and name them certain things as judgments on his people? Why would God do that? Why would God ask Isaiah to name his children specific things to pronounce judgment over cities? Why would he tell Jeremiah, hey, buy a belt, go dig a hole, put it in the dirt until it's ruined, and then dig it up and use it as a prophetic word over my people? Why does God do that? Why does God say, Jeremiah, buy a field right before you're going into captivity? Uh, Jeremiah's like, uh, God, we're going into captivity. Why would I waste money on buying a field? Because I want it to be a prophetic declaration that we're coming back. Why would he tell him to wear a wooden yoke around when the leaders are going to take it and break the wooden yoke? And then he's going to say, well, no, I want you now to put an iron yoke on. Why would he tell Isaiah to walk around naked and barefoot for three years and preach as a, a sign to his people what's coming? Why would he tell Agabus to put a literal belt on Paul's wrist as a prophetic declaration? Why does God do that? I don't know. But he does. Well, how, Pastor, how can our church do that? We can't. God can. And if he's in it, it'll, well, we're going to look stupid. Well, at some point, I'd rather look stupid and be willing to do something for our city. Our city leaders know, I have told them this repeatedly, if something else happens downtown to make that area better, we're all for it. If our building doesn't ever go through, if it doesn't ever happen, our goal is to make that place better. And they know that. And so they still encourage us and they give me ideas and uh, it's great. And we started something if you remember, during all of this process, I talked to you especially about debt payoff. And uh, we felt like the, God had given us a word that we were supposed to pay off our debt. And I challenged us that I felt like the Lord had put in my heart that every single week, we should put something in the basket. Every week. Every week. Even if it was a dollar. Why, well, we don't, why would we do that? Well, because one, it makes me think about the body when I'm not in the body. It makes me come to service prepared to do something. It, it makes me engage my mind beyond when I'm in this room. And some weeks, there's like three bucks in that basket. So here's the thing. Are you sure God's not 
calling us to engage and just do something every single week. Because if you're sure, don't put anything in any basket. But if you're not sure, get sure. I'm not trying to be mean. (laughs) I've been here 20 years, and I'm just ready to build the kingdom in the city. However it happens. And guess what? I mean, doors are opening like crazy, and things are happening behind the scenes. And if I told you, here's the thing. Some people are like, well, why don't you just tell us when you're thinking about these things? Because if I told you every thought I ever had, you'd all leave. And so when I feel like God puts a thought in my mind, I pray into it, and then I share it with our staff. There's only three of us. And then I share it with our, our contenders, our leaders. There's about 15 of us. And I, I, I keep making sure that God's in it before we ever present it to you. Because why get you upset about something that, that these three people can say, you're out of your mind? Okay. And so it's not, we're not trying to hide stuff. We're not trying to not do things. In fact, I'll tell you every thought that's in my head. You want to sit down for coffee? <laughs> I'll tell you what's going on in my head. But I'm not going to preach it, and I'm not going to share it until we know, or at least we sense that's where God's leading. And so we, for the downtown property, we're not going to take an offering every week, but I want you to know I'm establishing what's called a restoration fund. And if we can... Use, if we can do the downtown property, we're going to do the downtown property. If we can't, whatever God has for us as restoration, that's where those funds are going to go. That basket may never appear in this room again, but you can give to it anytime you want. You can give to Restoration Vision, and I'm going to make the first donation because when I, I felt like God wanted me to do it, he said, if you're going to ask anybody else to do it, make sure you go first, so I went first. Um, as God enables you, as he puts it in your heart and says, hey, that's what I want to do. Um, but I believe God's going to bring in sources from outside of our church as well. And uh, so we're, we're establishing the funds so when those funds come in, we have a place to go. So um, the last thing I want to do today, and you're like, wow, 1107, last thing. Don't get your, uh, you yeah. <laughs> In your mailboxes today was a sheet like this. If you didn't get one, there's some on the back uh, welcome center as well. And what these are, these are what we call our core values. And over the last several years, our, our leadership team has really refined what we, want, what we believe are our core values. What are we about as a church? What defines us? How do we make decisions? How do we take ministries and decide whether or not they fit who we are? And so I'm going to go over them briefly with you. I don't have time to go through every scripture that's on there, but there's also some, some places if you want to jot something down. If you've got questions that come up in your mind, you want to write them down so you can ask me later, you can do that. Um, maybe someday we'll have a texting service where you can actually text me during the service and we can just interact and uh, I can just share it then, but that's not today. So um, the first one, we believe God has called us to reach the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. What I want you to understand is the context of Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The context is a a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Okay, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and all of his friends are tax collectors and notorious sinners. And Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he goes to his house, and he has dinner with tax collectors and notorious sinners. And the religious people are like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with sinners? And Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. There was another time Jesus was having a meal at a religious guy's house. And a woman came in with a reputation. 
obviously for sleeping around. And she comes in, and she begins to anoint Jesus, and she begins to weep over him, and so much weeping that tears literally begin to fall on his feet. Um, because, you know, sitting at, on the floor with his feet behind him, how much do you have to weep where tears start dripping from your face? This woman is overwhelmed, okay? And so um, she's, she starts drying his feet with her hair, and of course, the religious people are like, if he only knew who was touching him. Guess what? He knew who was touching him. And he makes the statement that the, the woman is acting like that because she's been forgiven much. And because you're forgiven much, you love much. And if you're forgiven little, you love little. Jesus is not teaching that some people need more forgiveness than others. Because that's out of context and that's out of the scripture. It's not true. Every single human being on the planet needs equal forgiveness. How can I say that? I can say that right here. James 2.10. The person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws all equally guilty. So what's Jesus saying? If you don't recognize how much you need to be forgiven and how much you have been forgiven, you will love little because you don't understand it. You don't understand how wretched and miserable and, and poor you were when Jesus found you. Even if you were raised in church and said the sinner's prayer at age five. So when we say reach the lost, we want to reach the lost, but we understand that reaching the lost starts with understanding our lostness. We understand that Jesus in Luke chapter 15 stole, told the story about the, the, the lost sheep that had wandered away, but he told one about the lost coin who was lost in the house. Then he tells a story to climax about two lost sons. Not one lost son, not just one lost son who'd wandered away, but one lost son who remained in his house obedient all his life, yet was still out of relationship with his father. Lost. We have got to understand lostness, and then we will no longer judge people by their lostness. We'll judge them by the value God has placed on them, seen in the cross. And if we don't understand our lostness, they won't understand theirs. So we're called to reach the lost. Pretty passionate about that one. We're called to equip the saints. We really try hard not to use churchy words. I couldn't get away from this word because there are too many people in the body of Christ that don't know who they are. You are made a saint, you do not become a saint. The cross is spoken. It is finished. You're a saint. For believing in Jesus, you become a saint. You do not become a saint because you live it out. You live it out because you have become one. And that means everything. It's not just semantics. It really does mean everything. And I know because I've lived both ways. I've lived trying to please him, trying to get it right, trying harder, trying to overcome addiction, trying to love people, trying, trying, try, try, try. And all I get is shame, guilt, condemnation, anger, resentment, frustration. When you come to know who you are, oh, it changes everything. By the way, the Bible refers to us believers three times as Christians. 
three. As saints, 60 times. 60 times. And if you have one of the newer translations, it will say God's holy people. Same word, God's holy people. Not because you behave holy, but you have been made holy. But because you've been made holy, it frees you to live holy. If you try to live holy so that you're holy, it can't be done. That's why Jesus came. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called his saints, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I wish we had time today just to read Ephesians 1 and 2. In fact, read Ephesians 1 and 2 and understand who we are in Christ. I mean, Paul starts it by saying to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And let me just read just a little bit from Ephesians 2. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. When did he give us life? When he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. When did he do that? When he raised Christ from the dead. How could he see me with, heaven, in, with Christ, with, with him in heavenly realms when I wasn't even born? <laughs> That's how amazing he is. <laughs> So, and look at the next verse. So God can point to us in all future ages. <laughs> the enemy comes as the accuser and God's like, look over there. He can, he's already been in the future age. God doesn't live today. He knows where we are going. And he knows where we've been. He knows it all. And yet he seated us in heavenly realms. I don't have time to go into it, but you need to read it. It's amazing. But it doesn't just stop with knowing our identity. We believe that it calls us to lifelong maturity. Paul says, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We have cheapened the gospel to be show up at a church service and be good people. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, admit you need Jesus and you're totally helpless without him and you're not a good person. And then you become a saint and then you live it. You live it out. You're connected to the body. You live in that freedom and you just live it out every single day of your life. And the reason we're connected to the body is because we need the body for maturity's sake. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, not to do the works of service. And in the American church, we just want to hire more staff. Let's hire more staff to get the work done. It's not the Bible. The staff is to be equipping people to do the work. Not doing the work. And we've, it's just the word. And we wonder why we're not growing in maturity and growing in love. Because look at the last verse. From him, from Jesus, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the thing. 
As long as I tell you something you totally agree with, yes, pastor, great pastor, I'm with you, pastor. But if I tell you something, even if it comes from the Bible that you don't like or don't agree with, no, pastor, no, pastor. Move along. So in the body of Christ, we're about taking people from being attenders of our church services to being members of the body. And we call every person who says, hey, that's the church I go to. That's the church I'm a part of. You're a member here. But if you want the privilege of being a voting partner who serves in leadership, then we have our next steps class that's coming up in February where we ask you to be committed to the body. Okay, if you want the rights and privileges of a partner, then you also have to take the responsibilities of a partner. And if you're a partner here, you've committed to give, you've committed to tithe. So here's the thing. You've committed to serve in ministry, and you've committed to, to attend regularly, and you've committed to support this body. And if you're not doing those things, why are you a partner? You've given your word to it. And I'm not going to police it. I don't know how much you give, and I'm never going to know how much you give. I don't go around and say, okay, how many, who, who's a partner that's not in ministry? One time, I remember when I first came to the, the church here, and I was a pastor for like four years, I heard this thing Baptist churches were doing called annually renewable membership. And they were like, you have to tell people, hey, we have expectations on you as members. And if you don't, every year you have to annually renew your membership. And I actually presented to this body to vote on. And voted it down. Voted it down. Because we're comfortable. I'm, hey, we're comfortable. I don't want to have to annually renew my membership. What if you try to take it? You know, the deacons could actually take it and just say that you're living an ungodly life. It's in the Constitution. We haven't done that yet, so that wasn't the plan. The plan was to make us value what we had. Move along. Abide in Christ. Our calling is to abide in Christ. And that's in the center of this for a reason, because it needs to be the center. <clears throat> Before you just check the box that you know what this means, let me read from John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So, before we check the box and say, I'm abiding in you, am I bearing fruit? Because if I'm not bearing fruit, I'm not doing a very good job of abiding. Okay, next one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. You didn't choose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. <clears throat> Let me break it down. If we abide in him and abide in his love, automatically we bear fruit. We can ask whatever we want and it's going to be done because our asking gets transformed as we abide in him. We become obedient to God by abiding in him. Our love for others grows because we understand how much we've been forgiven 
as we abide in him. So he who is forgiven much loves much, and we actually become one with God himself. And we read that list, and we're like, man, i got to try harder. No, you don't have to try harder. You have to abide better. It's not about trying harder. It's about abiding better. This is not about having a quiet time. It's not about, oh, i got to start getting up earlier and reading my Bible. Yeah, get up, read your Bible, pray. But abiding isn't a chunk of your day. It's all of your day. It's every decision. He's with me. He's in me. Everywhere I go, every move I make, every decision. We say it. We don't live it. I love Brother Lawrence's book about practicing the presence of God. He went to a monastery because he wanted to know God and he was torn because they would go into these times of fasting and prayer and intense seeking God and he would sense the presence of God and then he would go in the kitchen and do the dishes and he didn't sense the presence of God. And he wanted, he had this, oh, I want both of them to be the same. I don't want my prayer time to be one way and my work time another way. I want to abide in him. Some of us are so confused. We take John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist comes, and he, Jesus becomes more popular than John the Baptist. And his disciples are like, John, Jesus is getting more popular than you. And John's like, he must increase, and I must decrease. And we all are so spiritual, and we're like, oh, I've got to decrease. Jesus never said you have to decrease. He said you have to die. Dead men can't decrease. We actually won't die. We want to, I'm going to call my shots. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to. And because of that, we live in this just turmoil. And you, if you lay down your life and you die for Jesus, he actually raises you back and gives you life to the full. That's the truth of the gospel. And some of us are afraid of it because we're like, well, if I die, who's going to take care of me? Bam. We're so worried if we die to ourselves, if we don't speak our mind, if we don't, you know, if I don't go into my boss's office and tell him what so-and-so is doing about me, what's going to happen? I don't know. Trust him. Love so-and-so. Bless so-and-so. They're your enemy, and that's the, the abide in Christ. We have no idea what it means, but we're going to know. We're going to plant churches. God has called us to plant churches. The Assemblies of God has always believed and always taught that the best tool for evangelism is planting churches. The problem was we were doing it overseas and not in America. And the Assemblies of God worldwide is the largest growing, fastest growing denomination worldwide. And yet we're not taking the principles that we're using to build the church overseas and using it to be done here. Someone finally recognized that and said, we got to start planting churches here in America. And so about 15 years ago, a church planting movement started, and the goal is to have a viable church in every city, in every town in America. So people don't have to travel to be a part of a church. They can be a part of a church. They can have a local support system, and it requires us to think differently. And if you read the book of Acts, after preaching the good news in Acts 14 in Derby. And making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Guess what? There was a church in every one of those cities. They didn't say, hey, travel to Antioch. We're going to plant a church there and you all drive over. Oh, but, you know, culturally now we can just drive everybody. What happens if there's a, an emergency in, in a small town school and they need the pastors to come? It shouldn't take 40 minutes for the church to respond to a crisis in a city. They should be on the ground. 
That's why we need churches in every city. When there's a blizzard and you can't drive, your church is already there. You don't have to drive. They encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. And with prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they've put their trust. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town. So they're supposed to appoint elders in each town. Appoint elders over every church. Appoint elders in each town. There should be a church in every town. Don't you think? I mean, if, if, if this is the Bible. We're going to plant churches. We're going to plant Redfield, but we're not going to stop there. Who knows what we're going to plant? God knows. And we're going to serve others. This is where Jeremiah 29.7 comes in. We are not trying to serve our community so they become Christians. We're serving our community so they see the value that God has placed on them. And so if they reject the gospel, we serve them anyway. Everything we do doesn't have to have a quote-unquote gospel presentation attached to it. Our lives are the living gospel. And it, we should live such set-apart lives that we don't each actually even need to, to speak the gospel. They see the gospel. And the crazy thing is, this is already happening. People share, I got a, a, a testimony yesterday that somebody's friend is noticing a change in somebody's child because of a change they've made in their own lives. It, it, it's, it, I mean, it's the gospel. How did we miss this? You know, the funny thing is, is I've been doing this. When I became a pastor, no one said, hey, think outside the box, read the Bible and do what it says. No, my job was fill this room, make sure everybody's happy, do ministry. I mean, run the programs. And it just really doesn't work. Because you know what happens is we build these buildings and then someone gets upset because a pastor leaves and the next pastor, they, I, I don't like that guy as much. I don't like that lady as much. So I'm out of here. So we just go to a different church. Well, they stopped having that program, and I really only went there for that one program, so I go somewhere else. And so then you have a building that you built for all these people that went somewhere else because they weren't attached to the, the body. They were attached to a program. They were attached to a personality. They were attached. And some are just attached to the building. And yet the only thing the Bible calls us to be attached to is one another. Programs come and go. Buildings come and go. People even come and go, personality-wise. We're attached to the body. We're going to serve others. Jesus himself, somebody I started reading, I had never read anything by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, but I started reading him. I would weep when I read his messages. I, I, the man had something, okay? Uh, he saw something. He challenged the church in a day and age when they weren't living out the gospel. Um, there was something there. I'm not going to say everything he said was, was true gospel, but he said enough that was. And uh, that same year, I actually had a tr chance to go to D.C., and uh, the monument, Dr. Martin Luther King, I just had to be by myself. I just couldn't even contain it. There was something so profound in that man. Um, I've been tempted to memorize one of his sermons and just preach it at you and see if you noticed. But I'd have to change some of the words or you definitely would notice. But, <laughs> but the social gospel is not a separate gospel from the gospel. It's just another side of the coin. 
Jesus himself said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. They'll invite you back, and that will be your reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Even Jesus himself, and you know that God anointed, this is Peter talking about him, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Doing good and healing all who were oppressed. This isn't about compromising the gospel and not speaking the truth to people. It's about making sure people know that we're not doing it because we want something from them. We're doing it so they see their value. And as they see their value, they're going to want to come into the kingdom because they're going to understand the price that was paid for them. That's how we present the gospel. And that's what we're talking about. In Galatians chapter 6, and I'm going to end with this scripture because it's twofold. The last part of it, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Maybe we should start by at least knowing each other's names, and then we can maybe do good to each other. But let's just start there. Every time we have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. The first part of that verse, look at this. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So those who live to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So don't get tired of doing what is good because at the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We've already started sowing into these core values as a church and I believe we're already starting to see a harvest. And I think if we continue to sow into these core values, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is what we're about. This is what we're doing. And we'd love for all of you to be a part of it. We've got our next steps class coming up in February. If you're not a, a partner here, you want to become a partner, or you just want more information, more than what I've given you over the last two weeks, we'd love to have you at the class. We'd love to have you be a part of what God is doing through Restoration Church in this community. I will tell you, those of you that have been here over the last three years um, should get a gold star in heaven one day for walking through this journey with us. Because, like I said, no one ever talked to me about how to build the church. And so as, I, as God began to show and reveal things, there really wasn't a pattern that I had that I could say, do this. And I, I, I mean, there's a pattern from other ministers, and there's a pattern. But for 18 years of pastoral ministry, I heard other people talk about vision. you got to get a vision for your community. you got to get a vision for your community. And my only vision was, let's fill the room. Let's fill the room. Let's fill the room. That was my vision. I prayed into it, I fasted into it, I gave into it, and it never really felt like a vision. And then God put a vision in my heart, and I, I didn't know how to walk it out, and I still don't know how to walk it out. There are days I'm like, God, what are you trying to do and say? And every day he peels another layer off. And I pray for you guys often, because it's like you're guinea pigs. <laughs> I would have called you lab rats, but that just sounds terrible. But that's really what you've become. But here's the thing I've promised all through it, and I'm going to end today with the same promise. We're not leaving anyone behind. 
Any change we ever make as a body, we're going to make sure that it's not a hardship on anybody. We're going forward together to build the kingdom. And it's already happening. Doors are already opening, and I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. So let's stand. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to play a blessing over you, and I'm going to dismiss you. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to, to go through both of them, get an idea. If you want clarification, let's have coffee, tea, whatever you drink. I don't care. I'm drinking coffee. But whatever you drink, you drink. And let's do it. Let's talk about how you fit in this. The American way is you come into a town, you try out a couple churches, and you pick the one that feels right. I mean, over the years, I've had people come and say, well, I visited that church. It was the least friendly church I've ever been in. And I've had other people say, oh, we, as soon, the moment we walked in the door, this place was the friendliest place I've ever been in. And they visited like on the same, in the same time frame. So how do you, I don't know why this was friendly and this wasn't friendly. I don't know. Well, I just felt at home. Maybe we ought to pray into it and say, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be? And then plug in there. I don't know. I've been here 22 years. You don't think I ever felt like going anywhere else? No, but here's where I feel like God feel. Here's where, but honestly, this is where God said, hey, here's where I have you. And sometimes I think he put me here because he knows how stubborn I am. It can be redeemed. Stubbornness. Because when you feel like running, you say, no, we're going to finish this thing. So we're going to finish it. And so I don't know what this year is, is going to bring. I know that our leaders have some things we're talking about and discussing. Don't panic. Don't fear. Um, if you want to know, let's have coffee. Otherwise, you'll just have to wait till we're ready to say, hey, this is what we think God's doing. So, Father, thank you for all of the things that you're doing in our lives. God, thank you for the finished work of Jesus. And God, I pray over this body today that every single one of them would know their identity as saints. God, that they would fully understand who they have been made in Christ Jesus. And God, that it would transform how we live our lives. God, it would transform how we respond to crabby people. It would transform how we respond when someone gets on our case. It would transform how we respond when someone mistreats us. Because we're so locked into what you say about us that the opinions of others no longer matter. God, that we're not free to treat people like dirt, but we're free to treat people that treat us like dirt, like gold. God, because of the value that you've placed on them. Because they don't understand their value. They don't understand who you've made them to be. So God, make us just like you. Teach us these things. Show us how to reach the lost in this community. Show us how to equip the body of believers, to equip saints, God, for the maturity in, in our lives and for, for doing the work of ministry. Show us how to abide in Christ. God, show us how to abide better than we ever have before. Give us the grace to plant churches in Redfield, in DeSmet, in Woonsocket, in, in Wessington, in Miller, in any church, any city around this area, God, that needs a body of believers that you would just infuse us with the, the power, the grace, the faith that we need to see beyond ourselves, to see beyond the smallness of what we can accomplish and grasp what's in your heart for every one of those small towns. 
And God, help us always to be a church that serves others. We want to serve this community well. God, we want to work for the peace and prosperity of this city. Show us how to do it. God, show us what this community needs. Show us how to be engaged in conversation. Show us how to walk alongside of our city leaders, God, and to encourage them and help them. God, to, to deal with the issues that our community's facing. Father, forgive us for talking down about our community. Forgive us for talking down about our leaders and how they're handling those problems and help us to, to just come alongside of them and to walk with them, God, to make this city better. And so, God, I pray your blessing over this church, this body of believers today. God, to walk in these values. These are not just things we want to say. God, we want to live them out. Give us the grace to do it today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.